If they're just starting out and they want to build wealth, the easiest thing to do is to seek advice. Yeah, so investing is really closely tied to behavioral finance. Portfolio design is something that as you age, it changes with you. When you're a single mom, if I was talking to myself in the 20s and even in my 30s, I would say... Hey, Angela. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Just a little bit of a background. I mean, I had actually come across your meetup group this year, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get to. It was my first time, first summer in Calgary, actually. And, and, you know, I just thought, you know what, I don't really know anybody and screw it. Let me just join these little meetup groups. Um, I've been told that they're for more for old people, but you know, when you move to a new city, you don't know anybody. It's like, what do you got to lose? Exactly. So I joined one of your Zoom calls. I really just admired your generosity and the value that you give to educating women on how to plan their financial future. And when you and I, we had actually spoken and I got to say, I'm, you were so kind and so considerate in troubleshooting my money issues. So thank you for that. Oh, again, my pleasure. Before we get started, could you maybe give a brief background of who you are and what it is that you do? For sure. So I'm actually, you know, born and raised Alberta girl. I lived overseas and was schooled in the States, but you know, my background's pretty basic. Um, grew up here, eventually got married, had kids. I've always been an entrepreneur. I actually have a bachelor of science in um, what would they, they would consider kinesiology now, but back in the day it was health and human performance. And um, I started my career in health and wellness and then in an all female environment, spa lady, only women's fitness, you know, then I owned a store and I've just always gravitated towards working with and empowering women, which is funny. I mean, I came from an all family of women and now I am in an all family of men. I'm raising two boys, but you know, I just decided that in 2000 and oh my gosh, what was it? 2013, I wanted to grow up. I was in my forties and I felt like I needed to be corporate and I just needed to grow up and marriage was on the rocks. And I went into finance and I started with the bank of Montreal and 11 years later, here mm. I am. Um, but even, so when I started with the bank of Montreal in 2013, I was a finance manager, so I'd have people come in and talk about lending and loans and, and investments. And I myself was com completely green. I was just, you know, taking as many certifications as possible. And I just really realized, wow, women, man, we don't know a lot, including myself. I'd be in a completely different financial situation if I knew uh, what I know now 20 years ago. And that's why I do it. So, you know, I'm a wealth advisor with IG Wealth Management. We are the uh, largest wealth firm in Canada, seventh in the world. And we have very little female advisors. I think 11% of our 2,300 advisors across Canada are women. And I just wanted to grow my book of business mainly with women. And again, I have n nothing against men. I am raising two boys. I wake up beside a man. It's all good. But, um, but I, I, you know, it's just a personal and professional passion of mine is just to educate women on finance. And that is me. And I'm pretty kick-ass because I'm super kind. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. Um, and again, how did you find yourself specifically on the path towards a career in finance? Because you said that you were an entrepreneur before that. So how did that, how did that journey begin with, you know, with working with the banks and here you are now? It happened by having numerous doors slam in my face. I, uh, when I shut my store down again, I wanted to grow up. I started applying for jobs, all different types of jobs within sales, within, um, you know, companies. I thought maybe I'll try the oil and gas in Alberta and I had a ton of connection and it was apply, get shortlisted, tank my interview, apply, get shortlisted, tank my interview. And I'm in my forties mm -hmm. and I'm educated. And my girlfriend was a vice president of BMO Global Assets. And she said, you should get into finance. And I was like, no way. I can't stand math. I can't stand numbers. 
And she said, no, seriously, you should try it. And so I applied to Bank of Montreal and I got hired. So it was out of a necessity. I needed a job. I was going to be a single mom soon. Um, and B, having all the jobs that I really wanted, not hire me. So now you're on IG Wealth. What can you say about the typical clients or the inquiries that you deal with on a daily basis? Are there any like common themes or common trends? Uh, not yet. So that's where an advisor kind of creates their own. An advisor finds the, your niche market of who you want to work with because not everybody is a fit. And my big issue mm. with a lot of wealth firms and IG included, and I'm vocal with this with IG, um, is we just continually to see, we, we seem as a society continually to award and promote the the success and the rich already and our and the middle class is shrinking and the lower income um is becoming unlivable and our students my god like i said i'm raising two of them i, I don't even know how they're going to survive so because education is not taught in the school system and shame on the school system i just um my book of business is not of your typical advisor majority of my book is women, women with families. And I have a handful, like probably 12 to 15 of young professionals in their 20s that have below $10,000 in investable assets, meaning their investment accounts, but they want, they're hungry. They want to see success. They want to, they know that they're going to need a lot of money to retire. And I, um, I work a lot with them. So to answer your question, that was kind of the long way around. I have everybody from an 18 year old to my oldest client is 99. So very, very diverse. So what's that like working with the older generation? It's, it's almost, how is it that they're able to amass? Yeah. It's envious. I know exactly where you're going with that. And it's a common question. It's because when they were growing up, and young adults and in their prime earning years, the world was affordable. You know, back in the day, people say, oh, like, and this is the seventies, my dad, you know, oh my gosh, my mortgage is 22%. That's his mortgage rate, but his house cost him 20 grand. So the stats mm -hmm. on, you know, back in the day compared to now, it's been like a 2000% increase of cost of living. And the seniors, again, every generation has, you know, world events that are horrendous and you go through it, but they went through uh, their majority of their life in an, in an affordable environment. And so that's why. And they also lived in an environment of all cash and very little debt. And right mm. now we are no cash. We are plastic and um, oh my God, I just had this stat yesterday, two point some odd, $2.17 trillion in debt. That's what our, is that like credit debt or is that, uh, over, oh, okay. it was like one point some odd billion was mortgage debt. And then the rest, so multi, you know, multi-billions was consumer debt, credit card debt, loans, line of credits, student loans. How long did it take you actually to even to, to navigate that or figure that out? Um, this sort of, um, cause it does, it sounds like there's just, there really isn't a, a one size fits all for financial planning. What happens is it becomes easier because, you know, again, it, it depends on how you set up your book of business. There's a huge difference between how I work with, um, the 20 to 30 year olds, the 30 to 50 year olds, because there's actually investor cycles, it's called, right? Like you at your age right now, you're an accumulator. This is when you need to start accumulating your wealth. You're just getting into the job market. You're trying to buy assets, 35 to like 50. Um, we are in another um, stage of our lives. And then you have, you know, your 60s to 65. And that is, you know, uh, post-retirement. And so they're now, if they're not working, right, they're on programs to, to survive off their investments. 
So yeah, every, every age is uh, different. Every situation is different, but it's always the same common denominator is everybody wants to retire in an affordable manner. So that's the common denominator. So how you get there is going to be somewhere very similar to how somebody in a completely different situation is going to get there. And that's by being smart with your money and investing it. Can you talk a little bit about what made you want to start the meetup group for women in wealth? Oh, because I was actually, well, let me back up. So I've been doing women in wealth since 2013 with BMO. I started uh, my first seminar there. And it's just, again, something I've been really passionate about. And as a financial advisor, we are 100% commission. We do not have a salary. So we are constantly looking for ways to reach an audience, to talk about what we do, to see if we can help. And so I started Women uh, YYC Meetup because, again, sheer necessity. I'm looking at joining networking groups and other groups, and there was nothing. There was nothing. I typed in YYC and women and money, women and investing, women and Bitcoin, anything. There was nothing. And the YY, the, the meetup platform started in the States. So then I started looking at um, certain meetups in other cities. And it was huge. Women and wealth, you know, how to grow your wealth, uh, you know, teens and wealth. So I just went on YYC and started my own. And it's, and it's there again, you know, and I always start off my um, session saying it's my professional and personal mission statement to empower and educate as many women as I possibly can. I'm not there to sell IG products. I'm there to purely educate. If, you know, if uh, somebody decides, you know what, I'd like to work with Angela, that's great. That's icing on the cake. Um, and eventually that happens. That's just the sales cycle. But in the meantime, if I can just educate, you know, as many women as possible to start growing their wealth, you know, great for them, a pat on the back for me, but literally um, it's needed. Like we have to start doing something. The way that we are leaning um, as a country, North America in general, is really dangerous when it comes to um, money. And I'm sorry that I dropped the F-bomb there. I just... (laughs) No, I actually appreciate that because again, I feel like there's a lot of things, the Zoom calls that I was on with you were knowledge that I honestly made me kind of feel a little, a little stupid, to be honest, because I had no understanding of a lot of even the basic things that you were even talking about. In in your meetup group, um, one of the first things that you asked people to do a risk assessment. So I guess, would you be able to explain what is a risk assessment and why is it important for people to do them. For sure. Um, So that session was actually about what type of investor you are. And that's what risk um, is equal to. So it doesn't matter what financial institution you walk into. When you start to invest, and it doesn't matter what type of um, investment vehicle you're going to invest in, we have to buy you know, for lack of better words, bank law or compliance, we have to do risk assessments on our clients. Because if you do a risk assessment, which is usually a sequence of questions that, you you know, you're given four, you're asked a question, then you're given four um, answers that you can choose from. And that at the very end determines, it auto-populates and it determines where you are in the risk tolerance. If your portfolio drops 10%, are you going to panic? If your portfolio drops 50%, are you going to panic? Um, you know, how, one of the questions is your knowledge base. And basically, we have to do this in order to provide the proper advice to our clients. Because if you were a conservative investor, I'm not going to tell you about high risk mutual funds or ETFs. Um, I I just can't, you know, I can't do that. When you do, when you go online and you self-direct, they ask you risk assessment questions. They just have another term for it, even on those platforms. 
What they don't have um, is when you're doing individual stocks, because that's the riskiest. And if you're going to start an online account or meet with a broker and, and um, just go into stocks, you have to you have to be in a, in a somewhat of an aggressive investor because stocks are incredibly volatile. Very, very, <clears throat> excuse me, very needed um, and great, in my opinion. But um, yeah, that's what a risk assessment is. So that's the session that you caught. So anybody that came onto that session, I offered that to. Right. What's the difference between somebody who's conservative and an aggressive investor? Yeah. So investing is really closely tied to behavioral finance, right? That's what we call it. And I'm actually bringing somebody in new year to talk about that, you know, based on the risk assessment will determine what, what type of products like investment products your advisor would put you in. If you came out ultra conservative, if you did your risk risk assessment and you answered all of the questions in the category that would populate you into auto, like really conservative, then you're, that's going to be something that, um, you know, without, confusing people there, there'll be different products let's say i put you into a gic which is a guaranteed investment certificate because that's one that's one of the most safest investments that's what you know one of the things i'd be recommending i wouldn't be recommending um you know a sector stock stock that's quite vol or a, a sector mutual fund that's quite volatile in science and tech when i wouldn't even do it because uh, legally I can't. So what happens is a lot of times when we do risk assessments with our clients, you have to keep on reminding one of them it's, this is for the long term. This is for the long term. Put your blinders on. Investing is for the long term. Is that also the conservative and aggressive types? Is that also based on age as well? Nope. Nope. A lot of women my age would be a conservative investor and I'm a, I'm a highly aggressive investor. Yeah. I have seniors that, you know, have, have a real mix of a portfolio. So again, right. It's usually when you're first starting to invest, once you become a more seasoned investor, you will have more aggressive funds in one portfolio with a really conservative fund. Um, you know, Portfolio design is something that as you age, it changes with you in layman's terms. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about finances, about investing or anything that's potentially like holding them back from it? A lot of people feel like they can't afford it. So they can't afford to start or they can't afford, you know, to lose money that's that's the number one you know number two a lot of people don't think that they qualify to work with a planner and a majority won't um there's a lot of planners out there that will only see you know half a million and up a million and up 250 and up but you know the the banks are a great place to start if you don't have a lot of assets or you're just starting to get into investments so that you know that's one so a lot of people don't feel like they have enough funds to start or lack of knowledge, embarrassment. There, yeah, there, there's lots of reasons. A lot of people don't think that they need to have a plan. We, we seem to have this little mm. bit of an indestructible mentality, right? That, oh, no, I'll just keep making money. Oh, I'll just keep making money. Eventually, I'll start. Eventually, I'll start. And back in the day, you could do that. I bought my first home for $60,000. My mortgage was three hundred and fifty dollars a month, and I had a roommate. Like nowadays you can't, you have to figure out how to grow your bank accounts, you know, not just by working, you have to have multiple streams coming in. It's a must. And hence why you go on Instagram and you see, or Facebook and it's inundated with, you know, make passive income this way, do this side hustle, do this. Yeah. Side it's very confusing, very confusing out there it, um, because yeah. that, that's exactly what the gig economy. That's what they say is like, you know, these side hustles, selling ebooks or drop shipping and all that stuff. And it's just stuff that I feel like I, even though I know there's, yeah. I, at least I've heard that there's plenty of opportunities to make money on social media, which is, I think, a very um, unprecedented um, kind of 
part of the this new digital age that there's so many uh, I, there are so many millionaires that are coming out of social media but I, yeah. I also kind of feel like it's also not for everybody yeah. and i don't think every single person is interested in putting their face on a tiktok video to make to make a buck well you know what i find you know what i find interesting on, on all of that is you know i think it's in its all different ages you know people always give bad you know give bad rap to the younger generations but it's all generation that are on this because I watch it a lot and I actually read a lot about that too. And I'm trying to keep up to my sons, but what nobody talks about mm. is, um, the actual cost, you know, all this drop shipping stuff that you have to go buy, whatever and taxes. Mm-hmm. And so you're accumulating this wealth. You're making all this money online. I hope to God that they're sitting down with the advisors, like the, the top five women that are only fans you know, I, I look, I, I Googled that one time top, you know, only because yeah. I'd heard, I had heard like my son's talking about it, typed it in. Then of course I always want to know yeah. about the money side. I'm like top five richest, you know, only fans. And somebody makes like 500,000 a month. I'm like, damn in the States, that's about 250, maybe to 200 net after taxes. How she set up, is she talking to yeah. someone? And I really hope to God that they're banking it for a retirement because eventually that's going to run out. But yeah, it's crazy. Social yeah. media is crazy. I just, I scratch my head because trust me, I've had about, mm, how can I make an extra 4,000? I got nice feet. So I've been freelancing on Upwork doing video edits. And at the same time, mm-hmm. I was also on EI and I had no idea how much that was going to complicate yeah. things because the thing about Upwork, I'm not sure if you've heard about it. It's, it's like a, it's a U.S. based yeah. freelancing platform, but they pay in USD. So I literally just was on the phone filing my next report with, um, with one of the EI reps. And I literally, I must've spent at least three hours on the phone with her because realizing that the you me earning USD really kind of just basically I can't even receive EI anymore because I yeah, can't because it's American company. I think they they put my account on hold. Long story short, and it was just like one of those things where it's either I choose EI or I choose freelancing. Knowing what I know now, like I don't even know if I would have tried the freelancing thing because it was so many complications. The poor EI girl, <laughs> like she was literally just like I got to, she was getting stressed. She was like huffing and puffing. So she's like, ah, okay. Give me five minutes. Let me just go back and look this up and see if this affects you. That's interesting because um, I actually, I put my son onto Upworks. I heard about Upworks through you and I put my son onto it. Um, but yeah, so if, if they're, you're paying in USD, you should have opened up a USD account. Did you? Had no idea. Um, so I actually had my account connected to a PayPal. Um, so it's technically still sitting in the PayPal in USD. But what I was told was that mm-hmm. if I want to claim the EI, I have to claim the Canadian. It was very well in my plan to actually open a USD and just keep the money in a USD account. But they were asking me to actually convert it. So I'm like, you know what? I actually still have yet to hear back from EI. Yeah. So um, I think I'm just going to tell them that I'm just gonna- and then I'm just like, you know, I don't, I don't want, I don't want the, I don't want the, I think I got like maybe, I don't know, eight or nine weeks left. And I'm just, I don't even know. I feel like it's just too much of a hassle to claim it at this point. Cause I'm going to have to report that income. Going back to what you were saying before, I think is like, I mean, you mentioned that you were mom with two kids and for any like single mom with two kids, what are some of the beliefs you think she'll have to adopt in order to start building wealth? Uh, discipline really. Cause you know, when you're a single mom, especially nowadays and, and, and younger, right? Like I, I was only a, I was, when I was a single mom, my kids were 14 and 16. So they were still expensive cause they're athletes mm. and I was getting absolutely no spousal help, um, or child support. But nowadays, I mean, depending on how old your kids are, it's, re- it's really tough. So I guess I'd answer this question. If I, was talking to myself in the twenties and even in my thirties, I would say, stop spending so much money. Stop spending, um, on, on so much stuff that we didn't need. 
on you know 10 christmas gifts for your kids knock it down to three and put 25 bucks in like an investment account mm. you know it's really cliche you hear it in you hear it with the books uh you hear it on on podcasts all the time you know um, there's that famous saying stop buying your lattes again right there's just we are a nation of consumers and we spend too much and we all have those stories oh my god if i didn't you know spend that money on this and you know, and when you're in a lower income bracket, you don't have that luxury. You don't. And it's unfair for me to say, oh, you could be saving some money because you don't. You're, you know, you're barely surviving. And how do you get out of that? No idea. If I, if I knew the answer to that, I could probably make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ideally, you don't want to you don't want to get there in the first place. And. You know, ideally, you want to teach your children how to get out of that that circle of, of poverty. But if you're fortunate enough that you do have a little bit of extra money at the end of the month, then you should be starting an investment account, especially when, if you're in your 20s. I have my boys set up that by the time they're in their 50s, if they follow what I will do for them with their money, not my money, you know, they will have a few million bucks. I wish my dad would have told me that at age 20. Even when I bought my first house, I was 20, I was 26 years old. And my dad's like, why'd you do that? Hmm. I was like, what? Because he did very well, very, very well. Yeah. And he was just, you know, never taught his daughters anything about money management. So I guess just kind of just... And here's a... Here's a go ahead. Oh, oh, no, I was just going to say, and here's a prime example. When my mom passed away, I was tw- my sister was 29, I was 27, my, and my baby sister was 21, and she had uh, such a tiny life insurance policy. It was actually bullshit. Um, we each got like 15 grand. Hmm. And my sisters blew the money so fast, so fast. And I saved it up. And I just kept it in a different account. And then when I bought my first place before my mom passed, I turned around and sold it about two years later and took my profits and my money and was able to do it again. Mm-hmm. So it's just discipline. So it's just, just leaning into that then, what what does that discipline look like exactly? Like, the, I guess in terms of like pointers, like if like, because it, like you said, it's like consumer culture. Like it would take nothing for even me. Like, well, I feel like I'm, I have pretty good impulse control, but sometimes when I see a good deal at Walmart or at Winners, it's like, it's so easy to just like snag that off the shelf. So it's like, do you have any, like anything that you say to yourself or that people should say to themselves, any habits to like, to, to sort of help with that discipline, you would say? You know, it's interesting. I'm a little bit jaded when it comes to that. Um, and I think it's just because I was in the fitness industry for so long and Mm -hmm. people are always like, you know, what do you say for people to get in shape or, you know, how do you, you know, convince yourself not to eat that donut? And I really truly believe that we are wired how we are wired. So there's nothing that I can say to you, say, hey, you need to stop um, buying stuff on sale. The conversation, you know, the conversation would be, girl, do you, you really got to, uh, you know, do you need it? Like you really have to figure out in your brain what works for you. Do you need it? I work on a budget because I'm a, I'm a, like, I, you know, I'm hundred percent commission and I have to keep a roof over my son's heads. And so I'm now like, do I really need that? No. Can I afford it this month? Yeah. Like I, I have that talk with me shoes. If I yeah. see a good, you know, a good pair of shoes, I like to buy shoes. And while I'm, I'm lucky that I'm able to do that. But a lot of times, if you know that you, that you shouldn't be doing something, there's really nothing I can say. You got to figure it out on your own. I mean, that's why when you go into Indigo, there's the largest, you know, what is it? The second largest cluster of books is self-help because everybody's trying to figure it out. Yeah, that does make sense. It is up to the individual for the most part. Yeah. 
But this is also where you get the elite from the non-elite. You get the rich from the non-rich. You know, the, you know, the rich, if, if it wasn't inherited, if it was self-made, those are the books that, you know, that I would be reading because it's, how do you do it? How do you grind it out so hard? Because you hear these success stories. I started with this and now I have this. Those, are, those would be the books that I'd be reading when it comes to money. Those that started out with nothing. Can you name a few, a couple that you've read? I can't. I, I don't think I've read a book. I have, I have that classic stack of books beside my night table that I look at every night and go, oh no, I'm going to play solitaire. Hmm. It's crazy. I don't read that much anymore. Plus I read all day, but no, I wish I, yeah. I have a list somewhere, but then I'd be kind of a hypocrite if I told people to read it, if I didn't read it myself. Right. Yeah, no, that, that sounds good. I think a lot of it really is just comes down to just behavior. Sounds like it just like decision, the decision that you make, it's just, yeah, it's a no brainer. If it's just what you need, if you need it or not. One of the tips, exactly. One of the tips that seems to work for, you know, a few people, is when they're initially paid, they take a portion of that and they put it away. And so when you go buy something or you check your account, you don't have as much as you think in that one main account, right? You get rid of it. And that might uh, reduce somebody's willingness to, to spend money on something they don't need. What are the things that you feel like you would look for in like a good advisor? So if you've never invested before, and you're brand new to the, to, to that. Mm-hmm. I'd walk into a bank, regardless what your personal opinion is on the banks, they are the safest place to put your money right now. Um, so you'd walk in, you'd book an appointment with, um, a financial manager or somebody else. And this is what I suggest people to do. It's be, is to be completely honest. I worked in the bank for six months. So you walk up and say, hey, I'm brand new to investing. I want to talk to somebody, right? And they're going to go, great, Um, brand new. Yep. And they're going to pull up your account and they're going to see what's in there. And then they're going to say, okay, we're going to, with BMO, we're going to, you're going to go talk to a finance manager. So we were below advisors. So we had our licenses, but we weren't advisors. And then you go, you're going to go in and you're going to start that conversation. Um, and it's going to be the same thing. I'm brand new to investments. I want to learn a little bit about it. And if that person's doing their job, they're going to say, okay, great. And you're going to do a risk assessment. They're going to ask you, um, your starting point, you know, what do you have to invest? They're going to introduce you to bank products, but it's literally just asking for help. And this is where, you know, we're, I think people are slowly getting away from asking for help because of shame. So you just walk in and you be your true authentic self. Hey, I'm looking to invest. I'm brand new to this. Who can I talk to? And you, and you start from there because, um, every bank is different. Like ATB, I think you have three levels. You have the personal banker, then a mutual fund, then a certified advisor, but yeah, it's just, that's how people are going to learn or that's how they're going to be able to talk to somebody to, t- you know, to get in front of financial advisors, you have to have already, you know, be invested into the market or just have come into some money. Like if you walked into the bank and said, you know, I, I am getting an inheritance and I need to speak to somebody. Then they're going to go, they're going to get whisked right to a top advisor again. Right. We're always awarding the rich. What are some things that you think is a good thing to say to somebody who is ashamed about their money situation? If somebody said, you know, I'm I'm really, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm really ashamed. Um, You know, my response would be, but you're in the situation that if you don't get help, it's going to get worse. So you, you need to kind of swallow that pride and realize that there's people to help you. And also you're not rare. You know how many Canadians are in really, really poor financial um, help. 
I mean, I'm a, I'm a 53 year old woman and this is the, the decade where I'm watching, you know, friends, including myself, left, right and center, get divorced. And the women, you know, they, they knew nothing about what was going on in the finances and now you're not better off and they feel shame and they wouldn't even come to me. And sometimes, I don't know, I, again, I, I'm not that person. I've never felt that before. If I felt shameful of something, then I'm usually like the first one to blurt it out to figure out how I'm going to get this fixed because I don't want this feeling anymore. But for those people who are, yeah, I mean, it, it's unfortunate, but it's not going to get any better. If you sit on it, it's not going to get any better. If you don't learn, it's not going to get any better. I feel like with all these reports going on the recession, it sounds like this is probably the worst time to get divorced. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because recession, same thing, right? People think, oh my God, the economy is going to tank. No, that's not what a recession is all about. There's sectors out there that are doing really, really well. There's products out there that are doing really, really well. Real estate, I mean, we're not seeing that much of a, of a drop. Um, so there's a lot of you know things that are going on really, really well. But again, the media blows it up that the, this recession is doom and gloom, and it's not. We go through this all the time. Everything's on repeat. The world's on repeat. Every generation, every decade, something happens that's very similar to a previous one. Like, I don't know. I just don't think people should be surprised with what, you know, how the world is. Right. I think that's interesting because, like, I've also listened to a couple other podcasts with other um, other other people, other entrepreneurs, business people, money people, and they and they're and some of them are even saying that this could potentially be like the most uh the, the the closest thing to like a Great Depression. It's like what are they calling it? Like the bear market or who knows? I you know about how this recession is gonna pan out. I sit on numerous market outlet calls on a weekly basis from some of the biggest brains in the industry. And um again not everybody's going to be touched by the recession. Um, businesses, some businesses, some industries thrive in a recession. So again, I think it's the media just kind of blowing it all up and people need to focus on themselves and their businesses and their families. Um, you mentioned something about a bear market and a bull market. So when you're thinking of the markets in general and you watch the news and they say that the, um, the market is going into a bear market. It just means that the markets are down. So think about a bear hibernating. You're down. You're all snuggled in. A bull market is when the mar when the markets are doing well. So a bull charging. Just remember it that way. And there's opportunities in bear markets. There's opportunities in bull markets. But yeah, no. I mean, the the interesting thing is, regardless if there's a recession or not, the world is just going to keep on moving keep on moving and everybody still has to pay their bills and they have to figure out how to do it. And if you were young and you started an investment account, um, so, you know, let's say, let's say this year, you know, you're 25 years old and you started an investment account because everything's on sale and about five to six years, your portfolio is going to be in a great position. And then about four more years, there's another dip. And, but now you have a great savings. Like people just need to start um, understanding the financial markets and to take advantage of it. How can people understand the financial markets? And is, is there anything that they could read up on or look into? You know what? There's so much stuff online. Yeah, it's hard. It's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. So you want to find... You want to find a program that is relatable to you. And again, or, you know, a money mentor, but also, just, you know, just to educate yourself. Yeah. Go to the bank, sit down, talk to somebody, say, you know, how much does it cost to get into the mutual fund market? 500 bucks. Okay. I need to start a tax-free savings account. I need to set up 25 bucks going in each month when I get to 500 and I'm going to come in and I'm going to, you know, purchase my first fund and away you go. And then again, like social media or, you know, Google, 
you know, how to increase my investments or how to start an investment account. It's, it's overwhelming. So what I find for myself, I just have to shrink all the outside noise and go in and do something simple and start that way. And not to, I mean, learning about the financial markets, you only have to know a certain amount and that's your own personal business, right? Your own personal portfolio, what your own personal goals are, and then know some key terms. And this is where it gets tough with YYC is you want to get really granular and you want, like somebody asked me, you know, about EFT tradings, how it's different from mutual fund tradings. And I gave her a really basic answer. And she said, well, I heard it was much more different than that. And my, my response was, yeah, but there's 30 women on this call. The majority aren't going to get it. And it's not important right now. Like it wasn't, if you want to get into the EFT market, again, go meet with somebody, talk about it. They're going to talk to you about their, you know, that product. You can invest in that product. And then you, you almost kind of have to put a trust in the process. Or you can be a super keener and learn everything that you want to know. So what is the difference, just as, as simple as you can, between an ETF market and a mutual fund market that you can say? Oh, God, there's nothing simple about it. Um, they're very similar products. They're very similar products um, in, the, in the fact that the, it's a basket of stocks. A mutual fund and an ETF is like a, a basket of stocks. One's managed passively. One manages actively, except some of the passively are managed actively. Um the way that they trade on the markets. Again, it's it's stuff that's not that important when it comes to getting started and start to grow your wealth, right? It just, it, it gets too much. And that's what advisors are for. How can you work, even start to build wealth? I, I guess for a lot of people who are breaking even every month, because it just sounds like, you know, the inflation, all that stuff, it's not really coming down anytime soon or, 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 or is it? Saturday living is just going to get more and more expensive. We can't go back in time. We can't start becoming a cheaper society, right? It's a tough question because if people are living paycheck to paycheck and they can't get out of that cycle, they probably won't be able to grow their wealth. And that's why, and, and then that's why we have the haves and the have nots, right? That's why we have the lower middle upper class. Um, for the share, I mean, it's, it's, it's how the economy, it's how the world was built. So when you're making, when you're going paycheck to paycheck somewhere, I would hope that whether it's another part-time job or debt is paid down, or you end up getting a, you know, a better paying job or you, you know, meet somebody and you become a partnership and you're sharing the bills. I can't consciously say, Oh, you know, you need to reel it in and put that 10 bucks away. That's not going to happen. And that makes sense too. I think at that point, it's just like you said, I think it's either you find a way to make more money or you cut some things out. And you know what? I've always you know, said to my clients, print off three months of your bank statements a uh, summer month, a holiday month, and a regular month, and highlight what you didn't need to spend. Divide that by two. So now you can still spend a little bit of money, but set up an automatic contribution plan to a savings account and start, you know, socking money away. What are your thoughts on crypto? Um, you know, I've sat in a couple of um, free seminars that were called Bitcoin for Beginners. And I have a really good friend who is highly invested in crypto and she has tried to teach me and I still don't understand it. And I am um, not going to understand it. Don't have the brain capacity for it. I have a very, I, I put a, you know, a thousand bucks on my wealth simple account for crypto and it's been constantly down and I know it's taken a huge hit. Um, again, I, I have that personality where you have like Warren Buffett, right? The, the, the best of the best saying he wouldn't touch it if it was the last thing on earth, he would cash out before he invested in crypto. Then you have other people that swear by it. So again, I'm not going to take any more time to learn about it because I don't care about it. It's really important to invest in things that are of interest of you. So people get into crypto because it's of interest to them, 
right? They have that type of brain. I remember working for ATB in 2017 and this, um, these two gentlemen walked in and they were starting a crypto company. And I was fascinated. So, of course, they start telling me all about it. And then my eyes glazed over and I'm like, yeah, no, not interested. It just didn't click. I didn't understand it. And if I find that if I don't understand something, I should not be investing in it. It's the same with individual stocks. I invest in companies that I know of, that I have researched, that I have read their quarterly reports, um, and that there's potential there because I, and I understand what that company is about. Those are the type of stocks I invest in, but I did, you know, put money in crypto and I haven't done well and I'm not surprised because I have no interest in it. All right. Okay. That's interesting. So you read quarterly reports and then you also basically just do your homework with, with whatever you plan to invest in. This sounds like the best way. You know, it's interesting. Here's a gender, gender story. My son's 21 years old, a bunch of his friends, we're getting into stocks and, you know, I manage Cole's money because I've started a, a tax-free savings account investment account for him. And I've picked a, you know, a couple of funds based on his risk assessment and, you know, he's pretty much broken even where a lot of his friends are invested in stocks and it's been up and down and they've lost money. And then, you know, somebody's made a lot of money. And I said, that's great. You know, what type of account was it under? Because he's going to be taxed. And my son was like, what? You, you get taxed on stocks? I'm like, yeah, you do. Like, the, again, the younger generation, it's all about trying to make that fast, quick. And I'm, I'm talking like the 20-year-olds, the fast, quick money that they're seeing off of social media. I, I think the, the fast money thing is probably a discussion for another day. What are like the first two or three things that really anybody just starting out should do if they want to build wealth? If they're just starting out and they want to build wealth, the easiest thing to do is to seek advice. Is to, you know, walk into a bank because it's free. Ask to speak to somebody about getting into the, into the markets because you want to grow your wealth and go have that discussion, sit down with somebody and have that discussion. And you know what, if you didn't learn anything and you didn't like that person, then you go book an appointment with somebody else at a different bank and you go in and you have that conversation or you have it via telephone or zoom, whatever, you know, you want. I know you can call banks now and have appointments over the phone ever since COVID, but it's, it's just to get started. Um, because people that work for the bank in those roles and people like myself, we are trained to sit and listen and then try to help. So you would call somebody up and this is what I say to the, the women in YYC meetup, you know, book an appointment with me, book a 30 minute to an hour appointment with me in an evening on the, on the phone and let's shoot the shit and let's see if I can help you. And, you know, because it'd be more, it'd be like this, where are you at? What's your income? What are your bills? What's left over? Okay. This is what I would, you know, think you should do. It could be super easy. Somebody could be like, you know, I'm coming into a lot of money. I, I have an inheritance, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, this is what you need to be doing. You need to be talking to this and this, you know, like it's just about helping one another and more and more people will help one another. You just got to ask. But that's, you know, to sum it back up, that was, that's my whole point with YYC is to, to use me as a source of knowledge. And if I don't know it, I will find somebody who knows it because it takes minutes out of my day. That's it. And I spend way too much on social media as is. So take away some of those minutes. That's awesome. Angela, are you still actually currently taking clients? Oh yeah. We don't stop taking clients. Yeah. We don't stop taking clients. Um, again, though, I, my ideal client is someone who has already, um, you know, has an, an RSP set up or a tax-free savings account set up, you know, over 50,000 in investable assets. 
ideally over 75,000 investable assets, meaning that's what they already have in these accounts and have a good paying job and making monthly contributions and engaged in the process because I'm, I'm a planner. So we are, you know, set up to plan with our clients how to reach their financial goals, but also the way that advisors are paid is what, how much assets you're bringing over. There's a small percentage. So even though I have young people, I can't be, you know, my whole book of business couldn't be young people. I'd go broke. Um, so I have a handful of people just starting off, right? Like the three investor cycles I was telling you about, the accumulators, pre-retirees and post-retirees. But yeah, always looking for new clients. Sounds like I probably won't be one of them. I don't, <laughs> I don't make enough of that yet. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But you've also know that if you have a question, you can ask me, right? So you also know that when, when you get to that point, then you can ask me and I can even, you know, find a good banker. I know a lot of them. Yeah. It's, it's definitely is a pleasure. Um, having asked you picked your brain with, with certain things and it's, it's great. Cause yeah, you have been so prompt with your response and it makes, I'm very grateful for you because I feel like you're probably the only person that one of the first people I met um, in Calgary that actually is familiar with the money world. The schools don't talk, don't, don't teach us at all. And I think you and I can both spend another episode talking about our frustrations on that. Yes. the Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started on education. Um, no, and you know what? I, I hope to, that you come out and I hope that, you know, more YYCs and I hope you are able to promote it to the people that you know, because it is, it's just an educational tool, right? That is, is free every second Thursday. We talk about a bunch of stuff. Next year, the first three sessions, I'm actually bringing up um, a financial plan. So I'm sharing my software and I have three scenarios between between 20 and 30 year olds, 30 to 55, 55 and up of what we do as financial planners and how we implement strategies. And I'm bringing it all up. It's going to be live so people can see, you know, what a, a, a solid plan looks like. Yeah, we're at 300. Like I've only been up and running since June and we're, we're close to 400 women already every single day, more and more women. We're going to do a big in-person I'm hoping, you know, by March, I think a lot of us are losing our minds. So I'm hoping to do it in March. I have the venue picked out. I, uh, I got a sponsor. It'll be a nice event. I got my female team coming with me. It'll be fun and games, learning about money, meeting other women, great networking. For people who want to learn more about you and what you do, um, is there a way for people to connect with you? The best way would be through email. To connect with me. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn and I have an IG wealth management page, but if, if they want to connect with me right away, because I answer my emails within 24 hours, would be just my email address. Angela, thank you so much again for coming, for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Hi, this is Gina Biggis, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Mike podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with the people you know. Thanks for listening.